Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. First day going in, and it wasn't that I was afraid, I was happy to be there, but I do remember feeling a little bit awkward. Like I didn't know exactly what to do with myself. It's new kids, a new class, and what do I do now, you know? And, and I remember the tables um, that were kind of positioned by the windows and the sun coming in and, and the teacher uh, gave me some Play-Doh. And I felt so comforted in that moment because I remember thinking, I know what to do with this. I know what to do with, with Play-Doh. I, like, this is gonna give me something to do and lessen the awkwardness of this newness, you know? And so I sat down there and I began to just fashion a little man. Like most of the time when you give kids some Play-Doh, they're going to create a little man or a little, little woman, a little girl. Uh, and, uh, and, and they'll start fashioning that. And I thought about how interesting that was that in many ways I was reenacting in that moment the first interaction between God and man. The first interaction between God and man we read about in Genesis 2 verse 7. Because it speaks about how when God had created the earth and he had created the animals and the plants and the, and the stars in the sky and the moon and all the celestial bodies, he then, he then started with the crown of his creation. Even though there's a movement in our modern world to suppress man and, and, and to treat mankind, humanity, as, as a parasite on this earth, we're actually the only part of God's creation that is made in his image. So we do not devalue humanity because humanity was created for relationship with God. We're the crown of God's creation. I remember being on a geography tour in school and they wanted to make an, it was, they were teaching us about ecology and, and the ecosystem and they were, they were creating a pyramid and they want to put man on the top and they say, you know, you take anything else away, the pyramid falls down, but take man away and it all flourishes. And I refused. I was trying to recreate, I was like 17, I was trying to recreate the pyramid so to put man somewhere in the middle, even though it doesn't work out really in the ecosystem. But I refuse to diminish the value of a human life. It's the, it's the loss of the sanctity of life that has led us to the greatest genocidal moment through what is happening in abortion across the globe where millions and millions and millions of babies are being killed and where they're actually moving in the liberal agenda um, overseas, they're moving to be able to kill babies up to seven days after birth. It's moving from abortion to, 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 to murder of babies, which is what it is, after the, the, the fact of birth. And so this is what happens when, the, when human life gets devalued, gets diminished, gets turned down. It's not the biblical worldview of the value of a human life. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. The word Adama is the Hebrew for where we get Adam from, which means from the dust, dust or earth or ground. And so God fashioned, He shaped like molding of clay, like I was doing in that classroom as a four-year-old, molding that, that Play-Doh into the shape of man, God molded us in his image. And then not only did he shape us, but he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God put his own uncreated, self-sufficient spirit within us, which is why we're not just alive on this earth, but we live in this life and we continue on beyond this physical life. 
That's why we are, in essence, immortal in our spirits and will live eternally because of the breath of God that is in us. And man became a living creature. Psalm 119 verse 73 says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Job says, God, your hands fashioned and made me altogether. Remember now that you have made me as clay when you fashioned me in the womb. And so not only did God fashion Adam, the first human, and Eve, the woman that came from, from within Adam as, a, as he took that rib and fashioned woman out of it. Not only did God do that, but he fashions every single one of us. If you're sitting here today, it's because you were fashioned by the hand of God in your mother's womb. There's some miraculous things that takes place as, as a baby is forming in the womb that can only be described as supernatural. The way that the eyelids just all of a sudden appear at six months old, all of a sudden there's a slit in the skin and, and, and that the code is there that God has imprinted in every person for us to be formed and fashioned. We are His handiwork. We are fashioned by God, every one of us. And so here I am as a four-year-old, and I am imitating my creator. And what's the first thing that I decide to fashion is a man, is a, is a, is a human, is some, something like me. You see, when sin entered the world, when God had fashioned Adam and Eve, and he had a, a certain purpose and a plan for their, their lives, this became deformed through sin. And that's the same thing that it does in our own lives, specifically as the reality of sin begins to become our reality because we're born with this nature that, that means that sin is inescapable. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned because we're born with a sin nature. We, we are powerless over sin in our own strength. And what it does is it takes God's original design, God's original plan, God's original purpose, and it deforms it where we're no longer taking on the shape and pattern with which we were designed. And we're no longer able to contain or hold the things we were designed to hold. It's almost like taking a plastic container. If any of you have ever done this by accident, husbands, you've been scolded by your wives for leaving a plastic container too close to the, close to the stovetop and seeing it be deformed. I remember sitting next to a fire uh, when I went out to the bushveld and I put my, my feet up next to the fire and I thought, oh, this is so amazing. I can feel the heat through, you know, through my boots that I had on. But then later when I was walking, I was like, why does it feel like there's stones in my shoe? And I turned and my entire, the sole of my shoe had melted. And now it was deformed. And that's what sin, the heat of sin in our lives deformed us from the original intention of God for our lives. And, and that's why we've been trying to figure things out, but we're doing it from a deformed position. We're not able to hold the value and the substance and the worth and the, and, and, and the meaning that God has for us in life because we, our, our, our capacity has been diminished by how sin has deformed us. And so we, 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 we try to be good at living deformed ill-shaped lives. That, that's in essence the, the pursuit of the world. The culture of this world is just going, I'm messed up. Let me just figure out how I can make the best of it. This is just who I am. And so 
in a very strange twist, not being able to figure out how to reform themselves, even though many, many have tried, only to find out how impossible it is. What, what the world has done is start to celebrate the deformity. Let's celebrate it because we know we're not going to get rid of it. And even as Christians, we begin to set the bar or the standard or the vision for our lives at the level of our deformity. I'm just always going to struggle with this sin because it's just who I am. It's how I'm set up. It's my personality. I need this. And so I'm just going to accept it and live in it. It's not what God has for you. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying he's praying for the church, saying in, in, in chapters one, two, three, he's constantly praying. He says, God, help them to know the power that is at work where within them. Help them to the, know the hope to which they have been called. Help them not to lower the bar or set the standard down there, just being merely human, but God, help them to understand who they are in Christ, who they can be in Christ as they pursue this relationship with Jesus. So what Ephesians 1 to 3 is really revealing to us is that God has now reshaped us. He's remolded us. He's melted the old plastic down and poured it into the mold of Christ so that all of our lives can take on the form, the shape, the reflection of who the Son of God is, His glory and His goodness and His grace as He meets all of our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Our need to be shaped, our spiritual needs. He's blessed us with every single blessing in the heavenlies. Every single thing that heaven has to give is yours in Christ. So he melts us down. He doesn't try to, to repaint the deformed plastic. He melts it down and makes it new. That's the message of Ephesians 1 to 3, so that we would take on his image. Ephesians 2 which we've covered, says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are created in Christ. In the Amplified, uh, it says this, the classic version of the Amplified, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus. I love that. Because we were created and then the work of salvation and redemption, Jesus recreates us, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. How beautiful is that? God has a good life prearranged and made ready for you to live. And he doesn't say, well, here's the round hole and you're a square peg. Let's just try really hard to get into that hole. Let's just try really hard to fit that shape. No. He says, I am, am shaping you into the mold of Christ so that you can step into something that is fitting and proper and right, walking worthy of your, of your calling, which is what we spoke about last week. Because you, are, you have been shaped for it. You've been molded for it. I want to take a pause just to say to every single person in this place that however sin, whether it is your sin or the sin of somebody else that has impacted your life, however it has deformed your life, God is able to take that deformed thing and fashion something brand new. 
That's just his nature. That's just what he does. When God gets involved, he refashions, he reshapes, he reorganizes, he remolds, he makes new come out of something broken. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the message of Jesus. His redemption plan is unveiled in this, in how he makes old things new. He puts us on the potter's wheel. The Bible talks about God as the potter and our lives as the clay. Going back to that image of me as a little boy playing with a Play-Doh or God in, in, in Genesis 2 shaping man. He, he puts us back. You know, if you, if, if you see somebody that does pottery, if you see a potter as they're molding the clay, if the clay gets out of sorts or deformed, they turn it back into a lump and reshape it from the, from the beginning. They add some water to it and they, they, they re-moisten the whole process and then they, they begin to shape and fashion something new out of it. And the same broken lump is refashioned into something beautiful. That's what God does. So no matter how broken your life may, might feel today, He will take that broken lump and put it on the potter's wheel and He will refashion and reshape your life if you will only trust in Him. Maybe you're like, well, it's not all of my life. It's just a part of my life. Well, he'll do that too. Allow God to reshape your marriage this morning. Allow God to reshape you in the areas that you're struggling. Trust in him. Romans says, well, we as the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? That's us wanting control. No, we don't say that the clay submits to the potter's loving hands. And so God engages. His hands are there. We are shaped by the hands of God. Your life today is being shaped by His goodness and His glory. As we move into Ephesians 4, I want to just read a few verses this morning where we're at in Ephesians 11. We covered 1 to 10 last week. And, um, and I want to go into 11 to 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Um, and I'm going to read this because I believe it, it's going to reveal some of how God shapes us. In verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, for building up, for shaping the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Now that's talking in both the collective sense, manhood, singular, as in all of us as the body of Christ, as the community of Jesus, the community of faith being shaped into His image, but it's also speaking individually about every man, woman, and child being shaped to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ until we reflect the fullness of who Jesus is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there is so much in that, but I'm going to just touch on a few points this morning. Last week, we, we spoke about the fact that we are to walk in a manner that is worthy of this great calling that we've, with which we've been called. The fact that you've been called is fact. 
That's not debatable and it doesn't get diminished and it, and it isn't something that you can lose. You have been called by God. You've been made alive together with Christ. But now we get to walk in a way that honors that calling, not making ourselves worthy for that calling. We're only worthy, worthy in Jesus, but reflecting the worthiness of the calling by walking in a certain way, by making decisions that honor the call of God in our lives, that we would lead lives that are worthy of the gospel. And so that's our heart. And I'm sure for many of you, if I asked, if that, is that something that you want for your own life, you would raise your hand this morning. I know that it's something I wanted from my own life. But then when we live our real daily lives, we also find that oftentimes we fall short of that image. And many of us get discouraged by our own failures and flaws and imperfections. You're looking in the mirror and you're saying, I'm supposed to be reflecting the glory of the God, but I just feel like I'm reflecting brokenness. Even after I became a Christian, I, I still struggle with certain things. And so can I truly be used to reflect the glory of God? We're so aware of our flaws and our imperfections. And so Paul helps us understand that God has instituted a way for us to be shaped into that image. That there is a journey and a path and a process that he has given to the body that's within the body that helps it take on the image of Christ. And I wanna say that more than anything else this morning, more than any other pursuit that you may have in life, this is your destiny. I want you to own that this morning. Let's say this together. Say, my destiny is to be shaped into the image of Christ. That's who you are this morning. That's your destiny. Beyond what you're trying to achieve in your career, beyond what house you'd like to live in, beyond what car you'd like to drive, beyond the places you'd love to travel to, your goal in life, your dream in life, your ultimate destiny in life is not any of those things, but in who you're becoming in Christ. That's the finished, the, 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 the end product. That's what we're... At, we're, we're, we're submitting ourselves to Christ to, and to the church and to the process of God to constantly so that we may be shaped by the hands of God to become the people God has destined for us to be, which is the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine. It's a place of peace and a place of joy. When you have nothing to prove, when you've got nothing to, to, that, that's lacking in your soul, but you're just living out the fullness of the person you were created to be. It's life and life to the full. It's what God has for you. And so we are shaped by the hand of God to that end in two main ways. And the first main way and foundational way, which is what we basically talked about all the way through Ephesians 1 to 3, is by beholding Jesus. By beholding Jesus, putting faith in Jesus. Now, beholding doesn't mean to just open your Bible once a week on a Sunday. Beholding means that you live from a position where your center point is Christ himself. And you're constantly reaffirming and reaffirming and putting yourself in a position to have this message reaffirmed that you are in Christ. That it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. And as we behold Jesus by faith in this way, we actually become what we behold. I tell my boys this when it comes to their maths homework. 
I tell them where the focus goes, the power flows. I'm, I use like preaching cliches in my parenting. When you focus on something, it, it, it leads power to that area. And so I tell them that if you focus on, if you want to be good at something, you focus on it, you're going to see improvement in that area. And, and, and nothing is more true that the more we focus on Jesus, the more his power flows through us and to us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is probably the verse in scripture I quote the most. I've probably quoted it in every second sermon I preach. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. As we behold the goodness and the grace of Jesus and what he has done for us, are being transformed into the same image. One translation says, we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. In other words, when we, when we look in the mirror, we can see how God is changing us. We see Jesus, we see his righteousness, we see his work. And it transforms us into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working in us as we behold Jesus. So that we become what we behold. You want to be shaped into the image of Jesus? Focus on the image of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is both the author and the perfecter of your faith. There's no other secret recipe here. There's no religious formula. Just look at Jesus. And as you watch him and, and, and learn from him and walk with him, you will be transformed into his image. And so that's the first and most obvious way. But there's another way that God has given us to be able to grow. And that is what we read about here in Ephesians 4. And that's by the grace given to all of us. Now the grace given to all of us, not just for personal transformation, but to be involved in the journey of one another, each other's journeys. God put a DNA in the church. You know that there is a code in every single cell of your body that tells your body what it should look like. It's literally like the, the, the genetic code that, that, that shapes you, that forms you, that, that gives the information as you were being formed in your mother's room that says, this is the color of their eyes and this is the color of their hair and this is the color, the height that they're gonna have. And this is, all of that was determined by a code that God put in every cell of your body. And so the information or the ability to grow came from within what God put within. And in the same way, what it's saying is our ability to grow as the church comes through something God gave to the church. We are able to be shaped in love as we live out the gifting that God has given us towards one another, as we encourage each other, as we build each other up. God is fashioning his church, every congregation and every individual. The body of Christ has the hands to shape, has the hands to mold. So, you know, what's amazing is me living out my gifting, and I'm just one of the gifts of every gift that's represented here. But if I can use myself as an example this morning, when I was molding that little clay man in play school, I didn't realize that that's what I was going to do for a living. Not the play dough, but the people. I'm not, you know, I just use the gift and the spirit is the, the, the God who is the Lord comes, the spirit who is the Lord, he comes and he, and, he, and he fashions you as I speak by his grace. I'm operating in my grace to shape your life. 
into the image of Christ. But you need to operate in your grace to shape the lives of those around you. You are given as a gift to the church. I mean, we could do church without you, but it won't be the same without you. Because every person in this room is a gift and has the grace of God. Every single person. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 there says, He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so, first off, he says that, and it speaks about this, as Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men. And one of those gifts that he gave to the church was the five-fold ministry offices that we read about here. And, and, and I don't want to go too deep into all of it, but we know that the, the apostles and prophets are foundational. We talk about the early apostles in the time of, uh, you know, that wrote the scriptures, you know, Paul, and who was a latecomer to the apostleship, but Peter and all the other apostles who wrote the scriptures, that's the foundation. God, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to them, and they delivered the word of God to us, the infallible word of God. We have it because we're based on, on that apostleship. But I still believe in the office of an apostle, which is not the same as those original apostles, but those that have an apostleship as, a, as an overseer of the church that founds church oversees churches, builds churches as an office, as a gift to see uh, uh, people shaped into the image of God. I believe in prophets in those days and also prophets today, the office of a prophet who is somebody who operates not infallibly like in the Old Testament, but operates by the gift of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom that can speak a prophetic word into somebody's life. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation today, 100%. And then there's evangelists. The Bible says, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, do the work of an evangelist. He's like, even if you're not standing in that office, we're all called to do that work. It comes from the word which means gospel or good news. Evangel evangelion, which means good news. We're ultimately gospelers. We're people that are doing the work of heralding the, re the, the reconciliation. God making his appeal to, through us to the world saying, be reconciled to God. And then as those people are, are being reconciled, the shepherds and teachers gather them together to teach and to shepherd and to pastor and to help shape them so that everybody comes to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. You see how this is such an epic plan that God has put into place. And so there are some evangelists sitting here this morning. You don't even know you're an evangelist. But every time you invite somebody to church, they come. Every time you, you know, you're speaking to somebody, you feel like, hey, this is a moment. And you share with them, and it has this supernatural impact. That's because you're an evangelist. It might not be in the full-time ministry office, but we've all got these giftings. And so there's the five-fold ministry offices with the purpose of doing what? The ministry? No. This is where people get it wrong when they say we're in full-time ministry. And I understand it's just a term we use, but we're not in full-time ministry. I'm not in full-time ministry. You are. I'm just in full-time equipping. I'm just here as a full-time equipper to help shape and equip you to have the impact in your world that God destined for you to have. My role is just to get you ready for your job. It says that the, those offices were given to equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry. 
The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. Come on, we've got a big job to do. For the building up of the body, bringing everybody to the measure of the stature of Christ. So through the gifts of the church, we're shaping each other. And that's why we are instructed in the scriptures not to forsake the gathering together of the church. Not to forsake it. Even though online church has made it way more convenient to sit on your couch at home, you can be fed by what you watch on a screen, but you cannot feed others. You cannot shape others or be a part of their process if you're sitting on your couch at home. So you can only do one half the job the church is meant to do. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love it. Like, like, let me just think about it. How can I stir people up today? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Like even back then, people were like, oh, you know, it's a little bit cool out today. I'm going to stay home. Even back then. Do you know, if, if you want to help us build Anchor Church into a move of God, can I tell you what's the first thing that you can do? Just come every Sunday. Just that. It means that you're available to be connecting with others and building them up. And when there's a room full of people that are being built up in Christ, it draws people. Just showing up, it's as easy as that. Already means that you've put yourself in a position to be used by God. See, not only does God use those called to the ministry offices to shape others, but he uses every individual. Look at this, Ephesians 4 verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one. Every single one of us, to every single one of us, grace was given. Not just the, this is not referring to the ministry offices. This is previous to that. Grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we all have it. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We had to encourage each other. And that's not something that you can do from your couch at home. No, we are helping each other be shaped. You're helping the person next to you right now be shaped into the image of Christ. As you go to community groups in the week and you, you, you send a text message to a friend or you, you pray for somebody in the week or you, or you deal, help somebody deal with a real life situation as, as they're going through a difficult moment and you're standing by them, all of that is helping shape them into the image of Christ. And that's for all of us to do. Colossians 1 verse 28 says, and this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, says, He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The, I can't remember which translation it is. It might be the living translation or one of those, but it says it this way. It says, we preach Jesus, no more, no less. And as we preach Jesus and we continually help each other see Jesus, we become fully mature in him. James says that the process of God helps us be fully mature, complete, lacking in nothing. That's your destiny. That's what God has for you. So we preach Jesus. And as we preach him, we are being shaped. We're being fashioned. We're growing up through faith in the knowledge of Jesus. When my twins were born, and I had a two-year-old boy who now had to welcome two brand new babies into the home. Not just one 
brother to compete with, but two. He, uh, I'll never forget, I, I put the, the little prams down in front of him. He was only two years old. He went down on his knees and he put a hand on each of the babies and he declared, my babies. Uh, they, they were his babies. And this past week, Leo was having a little bit of an emotional morning and he was sitting on the couch, not very happy. And Eli was having breakfast. Eli got up and he went over and he sat next to his brother and he put his arms around him and, uh, and just held him like that for a little bit. I thought it was the sweetest moment. And such a picture of actually how we're supposed to live as the church. And, uh, but, but there was also a little bit of jealousy for Eli when, when he was two and now he's got these brand new babies and they're being fed the whole time. And he also, and so I remember him sitting on my lap bringing his bottle, sitting on my lap and saying, Dad, I'm a baby, feed me, you know? And I had to hold the bottle because he just wanted to be like his brothers. But some Christians are like this. They never really grow up. They're, they're like beyond that phase, but they're still like, Dad, feed me, you know, just not really growing. It's okay to be a baby for a time. It's not okay to stay a baby. If that happened in the natural and a baby didn't grow, we would say something was wrong. And so it's okay for us to start out as babies, but we need to be growing. Paul uses three pictures to describe the lack of maturity or growing in a, in a Christian. He says, you're a baby, you're a wave of the sea that's thrown and tossed by every wind of doctrine, and you're easily conned. You're easily deceived. Now it's the Bible. Now it's the secret. Now it's the zodiac. Now it's the whatever other philosophy is out there. And we just mash them all together. Because you're a baby. No, but when you grow up, he says that as we grow, we become the opposite. We become a mature adult, a rock rather than a wave, and someone who is not easily deceived. Every little new little story, every new little wind of doctrine doesn't get you to lose your footing. And so it's okay for us to be babies for a time, but it's not okay for us to remain, remain that way. And so how do we ensure that we grow up? How do we help others grow up? Here it shows us. It says, so that you may no longer be children. And then in Ephesians 4.15, my last verse this morning says, rather. So it's contrasting so that you may no longer be children with a rather. Okay, what are we rather gonna do instead of being children? Here's what the rather is. Rather speaking the truth in love. So instead of being children, let's speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we often misappropriate the meaning of this verse that says speaking the truth in love. We misappropriate it. And I know, and I must confess, I've done it many times, okay? I've used this verse in the wrong way. Please forgive me, church. Because we so often mean it to, to have a hard conversation with somebody and share some truth with them about themselves. Hey, man, I'm just speaking the truth in love. You really are selfish, you know, or whatever. And sure, there is a place for correction. There is a place for rebuke within that because we're helping each other grow. And so if we do it in love, it might, that might have some role in it. But this is not what Ephesians 4.15 is saying. What Ephesians 4.15 is actually talking about is doctrinal truth. That we speak the truth of who God is and who we are in Christ 
in love so that people may be shaped by that word. So that they may be shaped by the hands of God through the word of God. It says that God's word is living and active. It shapes us, it corrects us, it, it brings reproof, it, it molds us into the image of Christ. And so let's speak the truth of Christ to one another in love. Let's make sure that we're believing the right things so that we can become what we were destined to be. What is it? He speaks about, he speaks about this. He says, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Jesus so that we may grow up into Christ. Christ is the head and we are the body and the body needs to grow to fit the head. Colossians says that we grow as we hold fast to the head. You cannot grow without holding fast to Jesus. But as you hold fast, we grow with a growth that is from God, a godly growth. And as we share with one another, it says from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it has been equipped. That's you. When each part is working properly, that's you. Makes the body, the church grow so that it builds itself up. That DNA is in it, in love. You want to be shaped by the hands of God? Lean into His church. Lean into His body. Lean into Jesus. Jesus is His church. They're not two separate things. Lean into others and have others lean into you. Encourage each other in who we are in Christ. In many ways, I'm still shaping the clay. You're still shaping the clay. You're being shaped and you're shaping others. Molding each other into the likeness of Christ until we all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. No, instead, we grow up into Christ. How many of you are a little bit excited this morning that God is shaping you and is gonna continue shaping you? You are not going to believe the transformation Weeks from now, months from now, years from now, as you look back in the mirror and you go, wow, I see so much less of me and so much more of Jesus. Amen? That's your destiny. That is your destiny. Don't forget it this morning. Would you stand with me as we...